All right, glad you're with us. 800-941-SEAN, toll-free uh, telephone number on this Monday. Let's see, worldwide confirmed 2,447,920 cases, 167,592 deaths. In the U.S., 766,664 cases, 40,000 931 deaths as of uh, today. Uh, A lot percolating all over the place. Full, complete coverage of everything. There is protesting emerging all around the country because of some draconian measures, some states, and some resistance to allowing uh, Americans to get back to doing what they do best, and that is working. And I think most people understand there's a little bit of a new normal here. Um, but, uh, you know, when you're balancing individual liberty and personal freedom and these mandates and dictates, um, it's, you, you, have got to maintain a lot. There's a lot of things at risk here. Uh, medical privacy, civil liberties, civil rights, uh, constitutional rights, all matter. You know, I'm looking at this over the weekend you know, it's uh, these. There's some, and you see this now in, in many, many states around the country. You see it in Minnesota. You see it in Michigan. You see it in New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Um, you see uh, New York, uh, Virginia, Washington, Wisconsin. You see California, Kentucky, and um, I, I think that there is there's going to be a balance here. Between letting people live their lives. One thing that nobody factors in when you talk about reopening is a lot of the country never, ever shut down. Do you want to reopen safely? Of course you want to reopen safely. We don't want to read any more Americans are dying of COVID-19 or the flu or heart disease or cancer or anything. To care about life, and we do, it is uh, that life is God-given, endowed by our creator. That is our creed. Rights come from God. They don't come from man. Um, but how you handle it and how you ask people to cooperate. For example, it's a big difference if you say to people, hey, um, the reason that we're doing these mitigation efforts is to make sure that maybe it's not you. Maybe you're in great health. Maybe you don't have any underlying health conditions. You're not in that susceptible susceptible group that's out there. But if you get it, you might infect people that are in the susceptible group. And the idea is, again, now that you've got the leveling, you got the decline, you want to keep it going to the point where you can, you know, we can get back, get life back to normal as quickly as possible. Some geographic areas, as we've discussed, like New York City, et cetera, are going to be harder than other areas. Um, we now know in Minnesota, bit of a backlash, stay at home order until May the 4th. Um, they're thinking any decision to extend that date. They'll, I guess we'll make their decisions as they go. Michigan has seen a very big, big backlash. Stores with square footage of 50,000 or more must narrow their ads, promotion of goods to groceries or medical supplies and items necessary. Um, attorneys, apparently, I don't know why attorneys may not leave their homes for work unless they are providing food, shelter, other necessities, recreational camping. I don't, you know, some of this is dumb. Some of this is overboard. I think most people, I think most Americans are, are perfectly willing, capable of understanding that there are certain measures that are going to be the new normal. And you, you, at some point, if you live in a free society, you're going to have to allow people 
the ability to choose these things in life. Now, if you're opening New York City, you know, I, there's going to be there's going to be a need for greater co- cooperation just just because of the sheer numbers and volumes of people in New York that you have. Smallest geographical area, 11 million people. Okay, well, 50% of the workforce should stay home. Temperature taking before entering a building probably will be mandatory. Gloves and masks inside the office with more natural social distancing made possible by half the workforce working from home. I mean, you can thread this needle, and you got to remember, too, it's all of this is going to be temporary. We don't expect that this is going to be a new normal for the rest of our lives. It's going to be temporary. You level dramatic decline you begin to ease restrictions etc etc now um in new jersey you have they're stopping drivers and asking where they're going that's a bad idea well you have better things to do with our police officers our state troopers where are you going where are your pay no we have better things to do um i am not i think if you're gonna allow beaches to open which you can do I think as long as people practice the social distancing and again, if you have a gloves and masks on, maybe it's not ideal. I'll tell you why, why I am not resistant to wearing gloves and masks. And I don't like to be told to do anything by anybody ever is because I'm in great health. I'm in the best health I've been in my entire life. I work out like a crazy person uh, and I eat right. And I lost the extra weight and I'm keeping it off. Thanks to NJ diet. And, but the point is, the reason for me is that I don't if I contract this thing, I don't want to pass it on to somebody else, because as I was discussing in late January and very early February, New York Times, I'll get to you later. Um, asymptomatic people can be shedding the virus. Well, OK, that means people you don't want to get other people sick or you come into contact with. A lot of these things have to be done carefully. Um, police efforts focused on enforcing, like, I don't know what you do when people just refuse to cooperate. I mean, there was a situation in New York, in Brooklyn, where, you know, a a huge party is going on, no social distancing. And those people were slapped with fines and put in handcuffs. And then police have to, you know, get up close and personal. NYPD in particular has been hit very, very hard with officers having contracted the virus because they're out there doing their job. Then you have Mayor de Blasio do nothing. Uh, are you saying drop dead to the city of New York, President Trump? I'm like, oh, OK, he built you the hospitals. He manned the hospitals, converted the hospitals to COVID-19 hospitals, built you the largest hospital in the entire country. Um, Mayor de Blasio supplied all the masks, gloves, respirators, ventilators. Nobody was short of ventilators. And you're telling New York to drop dead. What did you do in all of this? Because I have your timeline, Mr. Mayor, and it's not too attractive. Just like I have the New York Times and CNN and MSDNC. I've got everybody's timeline and everybody got it wrong. In a large part, because those that were at the top in the medical community, well, they didn't quite get it right. And I understand Dr. Fauci's position that Protests to reopen the economy was only going to make things worse. Well, at some point, you've got to work. You have to make this more voluntary without draconian, um, you know, measures that are you. Why are you out in your car? It's not going to work. You know, especially if you want to mitigate it to the point where, okay, restaurants can now open up again. There was a new survey, National Restaurant Association, 8 million jobs in the restaurant 
industry have been lost. That's a lot of jobs. One of the reasons I keep buying so much food from my favorite restaurants is I want to keep these guys up and running as long as I can. I'm only one customer, but I tell everybody else to do it. Um, The summer will be brutal if the economy stays closed. You know, even with a May 1 reopening, this summer is going to be a disaster. But I think you could start to see by August or early September the signs of recovery where people feel better about things. I actually think it can be sooner than that. You know, now businesses in Michigan are suing Governor Whitmer, who's not handled any of this well. And she's in the running to be the ever confused Joe Biden's running mate. But anyway, two Michigan business owners have now filed suit saying that they represent thousands of business owners like them in the state of Michigan. And it's our peak season and they're devastating our entire industry. I had a really good talk with Randy Levine at the Yankees. I won't reiterate everything I've been saying about, well, how do you reopen New York City? I'll say it quickly. Temperature checks have to if you work in a big building in New York. You got to have a goal of 50% of workers staying home, working from home. And people are finding out, wow, this is easier than we thought. And it works. And people actually do work from home. People have really, I know we've done it on both my shows. Everybody's all in. They've done a great job. Uh, I know friends of mine on Wall Street, they're they're telling me they get more work done than they usually do because it's quiet. They don't have distractions and they don't have travel time. So I think that should be all right. Temperature checks for a short period because New York is the epicenter. New Yorkers will have to accept the masks and gloves even inside temporarily. Crank up the air condition, I guess, a little bit more. Um, Now you've got to ask, all right, how do you then safely open Yankee Stadium? I had a great conversation. I think it was Friday with Randy Levine of the New York Yankees. Um, The Yankees will do anything that will keep people safe. And if every person that works at Yankee Stadium gets a COVID-19 test, either the antibody test, the five-minute test, or the 24-hour the test, or the six-hour test, there are all these. We have new iterations of testing coming out daily. And this is part of the new, uh, the progress in terms of rewriting the books to deal with pandemics. The public-private partnerships have been phenomenal. A uh, lot of controversy. Sweden left their schools, gyms, cafes, bars, restaurants open throughout the spread of the pandemic and it it seemed at least for a while that that was working it's called herd immunity you've heard probably have heard the term a number of times how to how can that stop the virus and basically what it means is you don't change and you know you keep a little social distancing but you keep they keep everything open i think risky especially in a city like new york and elsewhere and i think each geographic uh, area is gonna have to decide for themselves how they want to handle something like this. Um, But if we don't, we're our consumption economy. If everybody likes their store shelves filled and their their favorite whatever to drink filled and their favorite prescriptions filled and their pharmacies open, you know, those guys that are stocking the shelves, they're working. Those farmers are farming. The boxers are boxing uh, the goods up to be shipped by the truckers who are trucking. Those guys all worked. That's how the supply chain stayed open. Now, what about all the hospital workers? They stayed open. Some got COVID-19. Many others did not because the people producing the medical safety equipment, they were up and working. You know, San Diego, there's protests out there closing the beaches. But, you know, look, I'd put a recommendation out there. If you're going to go out, 
in public and be near people, put your mask on. That's that's what the rule is in New York. You know, at first I thought it was going to be a pain in the neck. It doesn't bother me. It really doesn't. And and if it if it prevents me from giving it to somebody else if I got it, you know what? I'm fine with that. I know it's temporary. If Yankee Stadium opens and it's every other seat, you wear a mask and gloves and Randy Levine comes up with a Yankee mask emblem on the mask, you know what? I think people will take it if the choice is stay home another weekend and go nuts in your house uh, when everyone's ready to kill each other or, you know, get out to a ball game, keep distance, get your temperature, wear your mask, go to the game, and life gets somewhat back to normal. I don't think that's necessarily... now. The other thing that we're going to get to here is, and we'll have a lot on it, we have a lot of issues involving how do you medically safely open the country. There are challenges. Dr. Oz, Dr. Siegel, Dr. Sapphire, all coming up today. Um, We have, (laughs) here's the headline on Breitbart, Joel Pollack. I didn't see this till yesterday. Why? Because I'm really burying my head in other issues that are far more important. But this is important when basically... Oh, the New York Times puts out an article pretty much blaming me for the man's for my for a guy's death. I spent over an hour on the phones uh, giving my timeline to the New York Times. Then they suggest that in statements that I somehow helped encourage a Brooklyn bar owner and I'm. You know, my thoughts and prayers are with their family to take a cruise regardless of the risk of coronavirus, which apparently he got. We, they don't even know if he got it on the cruise. Anyway, in the headline, the first one, the print edition, fake news in the, a possibly ill-fated trip. Uh, then an online headline, beloved bar owner, skeptical about the virus. Then he took a cruise. Then the Times quotes me. But they quoted a remark that I made eight days after the guy left for the cruise. Then they inserted in a new edition the next day information as a comment from Fox News. I never talked to them at that point without drawing any attention to their update, which basically is an admission of their libel and slander, which undermined their original accusation of my indirect responsibility. Is part of the story of this gentleman named Joy jo- uh, Joyce. Pa- apparently, people love him. Started asking a lot of questions. J.J. Bubbles Tavern in Brooklyn. Sadly, he died April the 9th. The Times presented him as a Trump supporter and a Fox viewer. And they set sail on the trip early in March. He was gone on March 1st. And they quoted something purposefully taken out of context. Well, let's just say... I'm not going to go much deeper right now, but this is not over. You can always count on the mob and the media being as disgusting as usual. And this goes to the New York Times as well. I mean, it's, you know, the Russia, 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 Ukraine, Ukraine, impeach, impeach, wrong, wrong, wrong. By the way, no one's really paying a whole lot of attention There's a lot coming out as it relates to premeditated fraud on a FISA court. Uh, Look at the jury four person in Roger Stone's case had had been on record publicly trashing Roger Stone. They didn't overturn that conviction. Didn't give him a new trial. George Papadopoulos said just the opposite of what they accused him of. He spent two weeks in jail. Manafort, now that we know this was a witch hunt, 
Never should have even been looked into. All right, 25 till the uh, top of the hour. We are going to be putting up probably within the next hour on Hannity.com what we have put together are timelines. We have a timeline of the mob and the media downplaying coronavirus and the threat. We are going to put our timeline up as well, which we've put up there now for a long time because we were right. We were ahead of the curve. We saw this coming. We were very concerned. We were asking those questions of of Anthony Fauci, January 27th, February 10th. I kept asking, uh, what about all these asymptomatic people uh, that are shedding the virus for days and days? Apparently, they're still asymptomatic. Big question at the time. We have politicians. You want to know about New York politicians? Comrade de Blasio, New York City Health Commissioner, Dr. Barbat, Nancy Pelosi's timeline, Dr. Fauci's timeline, other politicians, other health officials, and coronavirus mentions at the Democratic debate that didn't happen. Interesting. Why not? So because they're now questioning Donald Trump, everything, everything that I said about them politicizing a pandemic and a virus using it to bludgeon Trump was happening from the get-go. We've got that timeline, too. You know, hypocrisy of the media. At some point, they started saying, oh, calling it the Chinese virus, Wuhan virus is horrible. But they themselves did it. And so I watched the New York Times, and, and thanks to Joel Pollack, who did a great job, I did not know about this case, that uh, statements from me somehow encouraged the Brooklyn bar owner to take a cruise, uh, regardless of the risk of coronavirus, which may have killed them, not definitely, may have. You know, their print edition, fake news and a possibly ill-fated trip. Um, the New York Times was given every single solitary detail about what I said and when. In a long one-hour conversation, that's point number one. Then the quote that they made in their piece about fake news and a possibly ill-fated trip and then later an online headline, a beloved bar owner skeptical about the virus, then he took a cruise. Problem is the quote in their article that they attribute to me uh, was eight days after the guy left for the cruise, it turns out. And they inserted without telling anybody, that's why it's a stealth edit, whoopsie-daisy, We're printing lies and smears about Hannity. Let's just change it and act like we didn't put it in the way we put it. Then they insert the information, pretty much an admission that what they said was slander, uh, as a comment from Fox News without drawing readers' attention. Usually if you update an article, you say, updated article. That would be standard practice, except this is the New York Times, isn't it? And it was published April the uh, 18th, um, just two days ago. Sad story. It's a horrible story, just like all 400 plus uh, New Yorkers that that died as of today. Now, it's uh, we're on a downward slope. And as we hoped, if all the models held elsewhere, still a lot of people. Anyway, it's, uh, it's apparently this owner and my thoughts and prayers go out to him and his family. Apparently, he was a very loved guy. J.J. Bubbles Tavern in Brooklyn. I'd never heard of it. Sadly, he died April the 9th. Complications related to COVID-19. The Times presented him as a Trump supporter, Fox News viewer. And uh, anyway, they set sail March the 1st, flying to Florida. His kids apparently suggested maybe 
they ought not do this, which was probably good advice. Now, we do know that Anthony Fauci, uh, that he did say himself, and I'm, I'm, this is not a criticism of Dr. Fauci. I want to be very clear here. Um, it just is a reality that a lot of people, you know, a lot of us were in the dark. You know, a lot of smart people didn't see this coming. The one guy that saw this coming whose timeline beats everybody's is Donald Trump's, not Sean Hannity's, Um, because Donald Trump was, you know, really way ahead of the curve. You know, when when Fauci was asked on March the 9th, if, you know, people can go on a cruise. Well, if you're generally healthy, no young and healthy and no underlying conditions, that's what he was saying. That was March 9th. This is after the guy's trip. Anyway, the and then the way you go back and what they're saying is I went on air complaining. I didn't like the way people were being scared unnecessarily. Yeah, there was, you know, you got to tell people in a responsible fashion what the facts are, how to deal with it based on what the medical experts were saying at the time. And again, there was a politicizing of this virus from the get go. Anyway, so then they. They talk about he comes back, he tends bar, and it was the last time he would be at his bar. I tended bar. I love bars. I love people that run bars. Sounds like a wonderful family. And I'm so sorry that this happened to them and everybody else. Anyway, Dr. Fauci had said on March the 9th, the date of this original quote, even though the family left March 1st, that it's safe for healthy young people to go cruising. He didn't make a mistake. He was giving the best information he had at the time. And, and he's, he's spent, you know, serving six presidents, saving lives. But this is how sick this environment is. You got um, a Daily Caller uh, article out there. We have a Miami Herald columnist saying yesterday that Florida resident, residents, because they reopened the beaches down there, would thin the ranks of President Trump's supporters that those hitting the beach were likely fans of the president and Governor Ron DeSantis and the Miami mayor and that packed beaches would work nicely to thin the ranks of Trump, DeSantis and Miami mayor supporters. Wow, pretty sick. Then you got Comrade de Blasio. Mr. President, are you going to save New York City or are you telling New York City to drop dead? Wow. He's not the guy that sold off. Uh, the 500 ventilators that you didn't maintain, that would be you, uh, that happened under your watch, Mayor de Blasio, not Donald Trump's watch. You know, Nancy Pelosi, her timeline's atrocious, too, ripping Trump as a weak leader. And she's too busy taking pictures of her ex- in her expansion gated community mansion with her exorbitantly priced ice cream. That's what they're doing. And she's the one telling people, oh, uh, February 24th, yeah, come to Chinatown. It's fine. You look, you, you go back and you look, and it's amazing. That's why we're putting it up. The day that the president, for example, put in place, this, this was, I cannot overstate how important this travel ban was on January 31st, 10 days after the first known case of corona in this country. That's 10 days I don't think we had a death from Corona by that point. I don't think so. I'll check it, though. And what's the Washington Post? How our brains make coronavirus scarier than it is. Early February, USA Today. Coronavirus is scary, but the flu is deadlier, more widespread. Early February, Washington Post. Get a grip, America. The flu is a much bigger threat than coronavirus. Washington Post. Again, past epidemics prove fighting coronavirus with travel bans is a mistake. Really? 
I don't think that was a mistake at all, was it, in retrospect? You know, Politico, coronavirus quarantine travel ban could backfire, experts fear. Then, of course, our friends at the New York Times. Oh, their February 5th article. Who says it's not safe to travel to China? Well, that's a genius comment. Uh, Daily Beast, no fan of Sean Hannity. Coronavirus with zero American fatalities is dominating the headlines while the flu is the real threat. That was February 7th. And you can go to the networks. CBS uh, this morning, February 8th, coronavirus, not a major issue. Fake news, CNN. Now we're in the middle of February. The risk is low. NBC, the end of February to 26th. The president is right to compare coronavirus prevention to the flu, according to the WHO. February 28th, Washington Post. I have coronavirus. So far, it's not that bad. Isn't that bad? And you have Anderson Cooper, March 4th, not that long ago. Remember, March 3rd, nobody on TV was talking a whole lot about anything other than Super Tuesday. But March 4th, the day after, Anderson Cooper, CNN, is, you know, attacking Fox every second of every day. Yeah, he's telling his viewers to be more concerned about the flu than Corona. Half of the people in America do not get a flu shot, and the flu right now is far deadlier. So if you're freaked out at all about the coronavirus, you should be more concerned about the flu, and you can actually do something about it and get a flu shot. March the 4th. Late February, the 26th, really? The New York Times, fair, balanced, okay. Let's call it Trump virus. If you're feeling awful, you know who to blame. Well, Newsbusters, February 28th, study. Trump bashing takes up a majority of CNN's coronavirus coverage. I'm going to put it all on Hannity.com. March 8th is coronavirus Donald Trump's Katrina. Washington Post, March 9th, the coronavirus is Trump's Chernobyl. Let's see, March 10th, Brett Stevens. He still worked for the New York Times and MSNBC, DNC. Yeah, he says uh, coronavirus uh, trumps Chernobyl. Some things you can't lie your way through. Meanwhile, the president, yeah, he was building the ventilators. He put the travel ban, the quarantine. His timeline is probably the most impressive of anybody's, taking it seriously. He called it a hoax. No, he said those that were politicizing it were making it their hoax. If he didn't, if he thought it was a hoax, he wouldn't have put the travel ban in place, would he? I wouldn't be asking about asymptomatic people shedding the virus in late January and early February if I thought it was a hoax. And putting on Dr. Fauci numerous times, other doctors numerous times, warning people, but also expressing my hope in our medical community, our scientists, which I still to this day, even as late as April 8th. Oh, that's only, let's see, 12 days ago, MSDNC. Uh, They're putting out there promoting a theory that our nation's leading public health experts on Corona uh, and the task force purposely misled the American people on potential death estimates. Everything is politicized. It's sad. We were right about all of that. You know, I'm not being critical here of Governor Cuomo. He he you know, he had the first case of Corona, if you can believe it. This is six weeks ago. This evening, we learned of the first positive case of coronavirus, COVID-19, in New York State. Now, just think what Donald Trump built and got for New York in six weeks, more than four weeks, three weeks. They didn't have anything. There was nothing that they had. By March 2nd, even the governor was saying, well, you know, I speak as a New Yorker and the mayor. You know, we have the best health care system in the world here. And what happened in China and other countries and our 
And excuse our arrogance as New Yorkers. I speak for the mayor on this. We think the best health care system on the planet is right here in New York. So when you're saying what happened in other countries versus what happened here, we don't think it's going to be as bad as it was in other countries. I don't think there was any ill intention on the governor's part. There I said it. They didn't know. That's the point. We were going based. Everyone was a little blind here. But there were things that I saw that others weren't talking about way earlier. You know, CNN, you know, but the underlying reality is we can manage the system. All right, goes on. And, oh, you want to go to Comrade de Blasio? Mr. Here the president builds him the hospitals, gets him the ventilators, gets him the masks, the gloves, the gowns, the shield, everything. He had nothing. And he's out there as late as March tweeting uh, that it was, uh, let's see here. The truth is in Bermuda, unprepared, unprepared. Oh, we have been preparing for this uh, blah, blah, blah. Preparing? And he's telling people in February, oh, I'm going to be participating in the Lunar New Year. Okay. And since I'm encouraging New Yorkers to go on with your lives, that was March 2nd. Great job, Mr. Mayor. You know, now you're telling the president spends all this money, staffs your hospitals, builds 3,000 beds just in New York City, sends the Navy ship, sends all your ventilators because you did nothing. And now you're going to say he's, he's saying to New York, drop dead. March 10th, the Blasio, go about your life as you normally would. Transmission is not that easy. March 10th, Mr. Mayor, you said it. Twice on March 10th. Then you had your dopey New York City health commissioner, perhaps the dumbest person on earth, you know, keep going out in public. There's no risk at this point in time. Go enjoy life. Nancy Pelosi, really? She's out there attacking the president the way she is every second, minute, hour of every day. And Nancy Pelosi's lecturing the president from the from the beautiful comfort of her mansion and her gated community. Uh, and saying that the president did a horrible job. Yeah, what was she doing when the president put the the travel ban in effect? She was impeaching him. She was impeaching him. She was telling everybody, encouraging people on February 24th, a month after the president's travel ban, you know, encouraging public gatherings in late but February. But we have to be very vigilant. And I don't want to plan on that time. And Dr. Fauci, he's a good man. This man has dedicated his life. It's not a criticism of him. It is not. And by the way, the 9th, the February 19th, guess how many uh, moderator questions about coronavirus? February 19th, Chucky e. Todd, zero, zero questions. Wow. That's, and forget the World Health Organization guy. He's an idiot. Just a total imbecile, totally useless uh, on every level. Democratic debates, nope. I haven't seen any, no moderators up to even the February 19th. Todd asked, you know, questions, et cetera, et cetera. Any of the candidates about coronavirus? Nope, nothing. Then you got the hypocrisy. Early on, yeah, the New York Times was calling it the Chinese coronavirus. Fake news CNN was calling it the Chinese coronavirus. NBC, same thing. NBC, even fake news Acosta, the Wuhan virus, uh, all of them were. Mika, Fareed Zakaria, CNN, all of them. And then they say this is horrible and this is racist. That's, that is who they are. That's when we say they're politicizing it. That's what I mean. 
All right, glad you're with us. Hour two, Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of this extravaganza. All right, the big medical challenge. How do you safely, keyword safely, open the country? Now, it's it's being rolled out, we know, geographically. We know that there are three phases that the government has outlined. Some states never closed. Some supply chains never stopped. Uh, Imagine if if we had closed down medical manufacturers. Um, Well, we needed the ventilators. We needed the masks and respirators and gloves and shields and gowns. Well, the only reason they got to where they are is those manufacturing facilities stayed open. In most cases, from what we can tell, very safely. They got the hospitals what was needed. We never ran out of ventilators, thank God. Now GM is cranking them out. Took complicated pieces of machinery. Um, As it relates to food, I can tell you in New York, Long Island, that the stores, by and large, are packed. Except for toilet paper and paper towels. I don't get it. Um, But meat produce you name it they got it every all the supplies why because the farmers were farming i feel bad about wisconsin farmers dumping milk because they they that processing it does not exist for them um and they're going to get help i'm sure they by the way they failed today to extend the ppp because democrats as usual are playing politics but that's who they are that's what they do um but the fact that the food, uh, st- the shelves stayed full, and also the guys that stack the sh- stock the shelves, the guys that pack the groceries, uh, the truck drivers that would drive the trucks, the guys that you know, I, I walked in a store one day and I said to the guy, I said, "You got to wear your mask, dude. Please, I don't want anything to happen to you." I said it nicely, I, and I, it was like a week and a half ago. I said, "You got to please do it for do it, just make me feel better," and the guy was very cool about it. It's Mr. Hannity, I said, "Yeah." It's me. Was, I can even tell with the mask on. How do you do it safely? Okay, New York City, we've been discussing, is more complicated. Outdoor stadiums, can you do it? Gloves, masks, temperature te- checks. All the new iterations of testing. Now the antibody test. Abbott, two, it didn't exist two weeks ago. Now they have a million tests available right now. Dr. Oz is with us. Um, anyway, Dr. Oz, good to talk to you again. I know you spent every waking hour, which is most of a 24-hour day, working on this. Uh, you've been thinking deeply about how to do it successfully. Small geographic area, New York City, high concentration of people. How do you do it? Well, uh, the good news is the social distancing is working. So we know that even if it's really painful, uh, we, have, we can fall back on part of the reason that in these new CDC guidelines are saying, you know, give it two weeks after you make a move and see if you're doing the right thing, the wrong thing, or just status quo. And I, I bring that up because the only way for us to feel safe is to have testing. We'll get back to that in a second. To have a medical community that's able to take care of problems if they happen, so you have a safety net. And then to be smart about assessing the risks because you, you can't take big risks when you have vulnerable populations. Um, but you're going to have to take some risks because we don't know for sure. It's just the reality of this virus, which has been described by people I trust as the most contagious ever. So let's start off with the testing. Uh, and I know that you've covered this, but when you have this study in Northern California saying that the that we know that this is the Stanford thousand, study, right? This is the Stanford right? study. Right. Mm-hmm. Stanford studies say, okay, we know there are just under 1,000 people diagnosed in this geographic area, Santa Clara County, right? So we know what the, st- the starting point is. Is it like twice uh, 
more than that? Is the true incidence is it six times more is the true incidence? I mean, how many more people than when people were actually diagnosed actually had the virus? It, it couldn't be that many more. You know, 50 to 85 times more. When you have that massive a discrepancy, it sends a couple signals loud and clear. First off, people knew they were ill and were not getting tested. There's no way we could have missed that many. And that was because they were told not to go get tested because there wasn't enough testing. In this area, New York City, where you and I are, most of us were told if we did get sick, and I told patients this, do not go get tested. You don't need it. You're feeling fine. Just sit there for a while. Down the road, we'll learn if you really had it with an antibody test. But getting you up to try to go to an emergency room to get a test that you won't get a result back for five days is not going to influence you. You're going to have to quarantine anyway. Just stay put. And that was what the general advice was. So that number is, is important because in some parts of the country, it, the number of people who have gotten sick and gotten over it well is, is, is meaningfully high. And the reason that's critical is because we start to stratify the country into different sectors, right? Who's most at risk, who's less at risk? So we're all excited about coming out of this quarantine. But, Sean, for 60% of America, nothing changes for the first two cycles. Because 60% of America is vulnerable. The other 40%, the reason they're not vulnerable is because they don't generally get that sick when they get sick, right? 90% of hospital admissions are the vulnerable group, which is why the CDC so wisely says you guys don't go, to, you don't go anywhere. You get to stay at home. But that's actually very empowering because I think a lot of Americans don't realize they can actually play a much bigger role in defining their personal risk of having a bad outcome, not of getting the virus, but of having a bad outcome from the virus if they could take care of some of these issues in their own personal life. Because I really believe they're, at least temporarily, and I think for the majority of people, I mean, we're now on a, on a downslope in New York, right? Okay, but we still had today, you know, 478 coronavirus deaths. Now we're not at 700. Now, but, you know, and the death toll now is down for three straight days. First time below 500 deaths in a day since April 1st. This was what we had looked for. We were looking for a leveling and then the decline and hopefully more dramatic decline same with the need for ventilators, net de- decrease in hospitalization, seven straight days, six straight net decreases in three-day average uh, uh, hospitalizations, intubations now down nine out of the last 10 days, eight straight days. Um, you know, uh, so we're, we're there where we said we would be. Now, here's the question. If half the workforce in New York stays home, if everybody has to have a temperature check going into any building... If half the workforce is home, you have you're now building in social distancing. If you added again temporarily, it sucks. But people having to wear masks and gloves even indoors, do you have a formula that could work and get the country back to work? I think so, but I think when you might be able to know more. And I don't think it's worth doing that experiment in New York City in a week. It's probably worth doing it after we've gotten, for example, two weeks of data in some other major metropolitan areas, some of them not as Maybe crowded. mid-May? We, we could think yeah, about it I th- now? I could, I, yeah, I mean, just, I'll just create a scenario. And, of course, this is about data, not dates. So, but let's just say that you opened up the, the, you know, the, the, some of the big cities that so far haven't been hit that hard. And so maybe they could sort of get, get, get ahead of it a little bit and then make sure they get all the testing they need. My goodness, if we don't have all the testing we, that we need in America, at least give it to the cities that we're going to open up first so they can do it right. And they keep everyone all shut down. But ideally, we'd have enough testing. I think we will. And then you get this, uh, the, the, the testing done in, I don't know, pick Miami and 
uh, Orlando, and then, you know, a couple, you know, in the middle of the country, in the west of the country. And then these cities now become huge test areas. Can you truly identify a population that's at risk, uh, that, that got sick, then the people that they were in touch with? Can you truly quarantine them? What were the biggest mistakes when you didn't do it in time? What were the really keys to make work? And you mentioned temperature sensing. How critical is that? Is that is the best thing is just test the people who have a temperature over 100, 100.5, 101? What's the number? Is it mostly symptoms? You ask people five questions. Have you had a fever or chills? Because walking into a I'm assuming people aren't trying to sabotage it, right? So if I'm, if I'm going to quiz someone, I'll say, have you had chills? Because you could get chills, not a fever or a fever. Uh, have you had a cough that's dry? Have you felt fatigued or worn out? You, have you lost your sense of taste? Have you had any intestinal problems, right? That's a fair number. That's, that's good. That's more. All those, by the way, happen. And you can do that time. with medical privacy. Of course. Right. You, that could be an app on your phone. It could be done on that keyboard as you as you key in. If you test positive, hey, guess what? You get a free code. You get a free test, which is good for you, good for your family, and good for your coworkers. Why wouldn't you want to do it? And then this I, you see, I think ninety nine percent would be good. I think most people. I'll tell you why yeah. I don't mind wearing a mask. I don't think I'm. At a, I don't think you'd put me. I've, I've sent you my blood work recently, just for the right. fun of it, just what you wanted to see. <laughs> um, but I think I would. You would not put me in a high risk if because I'm I'm in good shape. I'm healthy. It doesn't mean. I can't have trouble with it. I could. The reason I'm more inclined to wear the stupid mask and gloves, and I don't really like it, but I, because I don't want to get anyone else sick. I really don't. I would feel terrible. Yeah, that's right. Well, first of all, I, I, I was going to buy life insurance on you. I was going to just admit that right here publicly, <laughs> but the number, your numbers were too good. But the, 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 uh, but, but the, wow. that is the that's real co- That's cruel. I, by, I, by the way, I'm, I'm, there'd be a lot of happy people, Dr. Oz. Oh, I saw a really cool story. I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, It was in the UK, uh, the mirror. I have no idea if it's true. I've never heard of a medical detection dog. And maybe I don't know where I've been. We know they have drug sniffing dogs and explosive sniffing dogs. But apparently being trained to diagnose bugs and could screen 750 people an hour. Is that possible or is that nuts? Yes. No, no, it's not nuts at all. I've done shows on this. One of the biggest centers for um, for diagnosing uh, illnesses is Penn, where I went to med school, actually. I went to business wow. school, too. But uh, it's a great program. And they looked at dogs smelling cancer. Now, you might think, how does a dog smell a cancer? That's crazy. Well, when you exhale, you exhale these aromatic compounds, these substances that are in your blood, because the blood is giving us carbon dioxide and waste off and taking oxygen in. Well, it, when, when you have cancer, the cancer gets into the little molecules of it, get into your blood, and you exhale them. With COVID-19 and other infections, you exhale, it's not the virus itself, it's evidence of the virus, different compounds, the, the, the pH could change. I mean, things change in your body that are clues, a dog can sense that. And then they can alert folks that you have it. That's not the only thing. We've talked a little bit about the fact that 85% of folks who've had COVID-19, according to one European multi-center study, have taste and smell issues. Well, could, you could imagine that being a very a, a scratch what do, you, do you smell this? Do you smell this? Do you smell this? Oh, you flunk. Let's get a test over here. Simple things like that were high throughput. So lots of people at once could be screened. And again, you're assuming that anyone coming there is going to know pretty quickly that they should be tested and they're going to volunteer it, but it's the asymptomatic ones. See, what's nervous, what, what makes me nervous about this data from Stanford is that I'm assuming that not all of these people knew they were ill. There's a good likelihood, based on the cruise ship data, and when you see data showing that antibodies are present in 80 times more people than got diagnosed, that some of those people didn't know they were sick. They're the dangerous ones. They're the ones that me, unwittingly would cause a problem. Let me ask you, as I talked to Randy Levine, 
um, of the New York Yankees on Friday. Uh, I've known Randy a long time. Great guy. And I, I mean, he and I talked about the temperature taking and I just I, look, I don't want to repeat myself. I said, for me, I'd rather if, if the choice is stay home or go to a game, but I have to wear a mask and gloves. I'd rather go to the game. That's my choice. If you if everybody that worked in the stadium was given a positive, negative, you got it, you don't got it before every game. Players, coaches, ticket takers, and and food handlers. Um, and everyone got the temperature check and had to wear the glove and mask. Assume I I would I can only speak for myself. This is New York. Everyone has their own points of view. I'd rather go than not go. Could that be pulled off? I, 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 again, it was. He would buy, he actually said to me he would get masks. Maybe we get masks with Yankee emblems on it. I thought that was a brilliant idea. It's, it's a smart idea. I mean, I would start in Arizona where there's very little disease right now, lots of space, uh, mm-hmm. and have, once the teams are playing there, maybe let them have some crowds at those games. But here's the question you, 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 you raised a lot of different things that could be done. I've also been called by some fairly prominent folks in the sports world asking just what, what should we do in stadiums? Testing everybody every day, besides using a lot of tests, ends up becoming one of those formalities where the yield is so low, people start to get sloppy about it. Maybe the best thing to do is make enough N95 masks, the ones that really work, right? And, the, and you have to wear them. That would, and because I'm assuming that any worker who's loyal to the team and to the league would volunteer if they knew they were ill. And how many people don't know they're ill and are walking in? And that number becomes diminishingly small, right? So right. anybody who wants to get tested gets tested or needs to get tested gets tested. And then you've got to make sure, okay, whatever, I don't even know I'm sick. And the, these tests aren't perfect either, by the way, so they could have missed that. Maybe people who are asymptomatic don't have that much virus, maybe. And maybe the tests aren't as accurate for that reason. So for all these, there's no way getting away from... A lot of variants, but you probably would have to start with saying to the vulnerable population, people with go. underlying health issues and... And compromised immune systems, guys. We love you, but you got to take the year off. Come back next year. We'll even give no, you know. Free... That was the most important thing in the outline. Absolutely right, Sean. They can't go. But no matter what happens, they can't go. Because if I'm wrong about them, and if you're wrong about them, and if everyone else is, uh, messes up, they end up in a hospital or a ventilator, and they don't do well. I bet you they would even go with like every other seat or every third seat to start. Um, they offered you know, that. Stuff. That's what they, the group that yeah. I spoke to said. They wanted to do every third seat. I asked them a different question. You should think about this because you're good at this game of, you know, of, you know, of how of perception. What happens to the crowd if it's every third seat? It looks like it's a checkerboard. It's not that kind of robust experience. Is it good enough? And is it worth it to open I the I think to start, stadium? yeah. I think to start. And once people realize that, you know, everyone's kind of cooperating, I mean, I, if people did it, if, look, if the choice, you don't want to walk around Yankee Stadium, put your mask on. I mean, that'd be a, everyone has to cooperate. And I think people would for the sake of others, 99%. All right, 25 now until the top of the hour, 800 Sean, you want to be a part of the program. Um, the president this weekend, and he's right. There are some governors that have gone too far, some things happening that may not be so appropriate, as he said. And now we're looking around the country and we're seeing it started in Michigan and uh, Minnesota, Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas, Florida. Uh, A lot of protests are now beginning to show up it's amazing what are the american people fighting for they want the right to open they they want to i because I, I think people are smart i think most people understand 
social distancing. I saw I saw the images. I know Florida opened up their beaches. People a lot smarter than what we saw with the spring break video, at least the footage that I saw. I can't speak for all of Florida. Um, Pennsylvania's Democratic governor now under a lot of pressure to end the shutdown because people are concerned about all the economic damage. And demonstrators gathered at the Pennsylvania State Capitol, Harrisburg, in the hopes of sending a pointed message to Tom Wolf. It's time to reopen Pennsylvania. We are Pennsylvania residents, business owners that stand for our rights and freedoms. We demand officials reopen Pennsylvania May the 1st. Um, now, the question is, how do you do it? How do you do it safely? You had a Washington Times story of a... It's getting pretty ugly there. State authorities now, you know, sending out cops and going after people organizing anti-shutdown protests. One New Jersey, you know, I guess we shouldn't be surprised. The governor, I think, said to Tucker Carlson, I wasn't paying attention to the, the Bill of Rights of my pay grade. All right. Pretty dumb statement. New Jersey woman charged with violating the governor's stay at home order after organizing a protest outside the state capitol. On Friday, uh, Kim Pagan, Toms River, New Jersey, charged by New Jersey State Police with violating emergency orders after organizing the protest in Trenton, where people gathered outside the state house to demonstrate against Phil Murphy's stay at home to combat coronavirus. Um, I'm going to say this, and look, I'm a, a big free speech believer. I'm a big. I've been warning about medical privacy as. We're kind of a new territory here. Uh, but also, I'm going to tell people, be smart. You don't want to get this virus. And more importantly, too, if you're even if you're young and in and, and really great shape, uh, you still, you know, it would be thoughtful. I think Americans are thoughtful people that love life and believe in life and fight for life. And every life matters. You, you don't want to get this and maybe pass it on to somebody who is more vulnerable you have a San Diego area protest targeting the closures of beaches and walking trails there. So you got this big fight that is beginning to brew. And there are states that are relaxing some social distancing restrictions and moving away from lockdowns. Um, and, you know, I don't know how you open a bar. I can't figure that one out. I've given you my ideas how I think New York City building should open. Temperature check, half the workforce stays home. You have your social distancing, masks and gloves. I know it sucks, but we all know it's temporary. Uh, I know that, um, uh, you know, how do you reopen Vegas? I, I can't answer that. Outdoor stadium, Yankee stadium, you know. I Look, I think the Major League Baseball and the NFL, they're really smart people. And they all make a lot of money. I think they'd be willing to invest in safely opening their at least their outdoor stadiums with the gloves and masks i'm sure so there's a lot of heat here and um and i understand how people feel and it's the american people same thing in ohio i mean people ticked off at dewine uh i know that you know we lost eight million restaurant jobs restaurants opening and especially some of these hot zones are going to be tough uh, you have, uh, you know, Stephen Moore saying, look, he said this summer is going to be brutal if the economy stays closed. He's right. The summer could be economically a disaster. You have businesses now suing Governor Whitmer. Whitmer's been really dopey in all of this. 
And, you know, you have uh, House conservatives saying small businesses should have the right to reopen. Um, I, you know, I know that, you know, you can look at Minnesota, you can look at Michigan, you can look at New Jersey, you can look at Pennsylvania, you can look at all of these states and all of the different, you know, one guy say, well, we have a right to shut down, you know, the right of people to have their Second Amendment. No, you don't get the right to take away the Second Amendment. You don't get the right, you know, that's what's so obnoxious about Nancy Pelosi in her gated mansion and, you know, with her big freezer full of expensive ice cream. Get to work, Nancy. Fly back in your private jet. I'll send you over some expensive ice cream if it gets you back to work. All those people that are stocking the shelves, they've all been at risk the whole time. All those medical professionals, they've all kept working the whole time in, in the highest risk environment. All those truckers have been trucking the whole time. All of those farmers have been farming. All of those packers have been packing. All those medical manufacturers of all the medical equipment have been manufacturing. Anyway, here to help sort through a lot of this, uh, Jeff Lord is with us. Uh, he Remember, he wrote the book Swamp Wars, Donald Trump, the New American Populism versus the Old Order. Rose Tennant, talk show host, author, um rallies in Harrisburg and in Pittsburgh, which they both attended today. Uh, welcome both of you to the program. Hey, Sean. Hello, Sean. All right, Jeff, start with you. Tell us what you saw today. What are people saying? There were, yeah, there were thousands of people gathered in front of the Pennsylvania State Capitol in the middle of Harrisburg, uh, waving flags, honking horns. Uh, they were both in their cars and thousands outside of their cars on both sides of the street. Uh, I have to say candidly, I, I wore a mask and I wore gloves, but there were lots of people there without either. What percentage uh, of people would you say were wearing them? I would say maybe 10%, 10 to 15%. Most wow, were that's not. pretty low. Rose, were you wearing um, it? I, I had a mask on, and, of course, I drew big red lips on mine because I have to make a fashion statement, <laughs> even in a mask. <laughs> well, Randy Levine of the Yankees said that he would print up uh, Yankee masks. You don't put the Yankee yeah. emblem on it. Probably be collector's <laughs> items one day, like a Babe Ruth baseball card. I don't know. but Better believe it. I, so, what, look, I understand. Listen, I'm going to be very blunt. I totally understand how people feel. But I don't like seeing them there, knowing what this can do, having lived and watched this in New York. All right, so in New York today, um, remember, we were up to like 700 deaths a day. You know, now we're down, it's in the 400s. First day since April 1st, it's below 500. There's still a lot of people dying here. Um, what's that? I know. I was, I was going to say that I think that for in Pittsburgh, I noticed that it was about 50-50, half the people out there had not gone. But remember, most of the people were in cars. And the people that were outside, I'd say it was half and half, but we were outside. That being said, and I'm not, I'm not justifying that because I believe I'm wearing a mask and I rarely go out. But I will say this. It was very powerful, Sean, because what we saw in all of those cars, I was watching as they went by, so many um, vehicles that were company vehicles that had the name of their company yeah. on the side of their vehicles and, and children inside cars. And I said to the police officer, you realize these are people that would be at work right now. This is a Monday, a work day ordinarily, and here they all are in their cars. And it made you really think about it, Sean. I mean, these people, those pest control guys I saw in the mattress guy and the exterior um, design guy, 
all the people that drove by in their company vehicles, they are out of work. And when we talk about mom-and-pop stores being the backbone of this country, and they are, and oftentimes it's called mom-and-pop because both the husband and the wife are now without a paycheck. So I want to see these people go back to work. And I believe, Sean, look, the American people were asked to do something we have never been asked to do before, stay indoors, social distance, and we did it happily because we wanted to protect ourselves and others. But at this point, I believe that we can begin to open up businesses and practice still safety and and health, good health. See, I think what people have to realize, and I would say this to anybody that's protesting, I would recommend you wear your mask and gloves. I'm sorry. That's how I feel. I do, too. And even even if, listen, it is a pain in the ass. I'm not going to lie. I don't like wearing it. I don't want to wear it. I got it. I was resistant in the beginning from wearing it. But, you know, when you think about other people in this, and that's what it's about. That's why, like, I think teleworking, there's so many new normals that are going to emerge out of this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Telemedicine, teleworking. I mean, we've never seen a medical mobilization like this. I mean, for, for Comrade de Blasio, Trump, are you going to tell New York City to drop that? I said, you're such an ass. Because uh, he built you the biggest hospital in the country. He gave you every ventilator you needed, all of the medical equipment you had. He sent a Navy ship, converted them both to COVID-19, and all around the rest of New York did the same thing. And he did it in in less than a month. Sean, one of the things that I think is, is, is incredible here is this was not just, you know, like a protest. These are people who are seriously angry. Uh, they feel that their entire life has been disrupted, that they may not be able to get their business back, their jobs back, uh, that this is being deliberately withheld by uh, a governor, in this case, Governor Wolf of Pennsylvania, who is deciding who is essential and who is not. One of the speakers mm-hmm. at this uh, event today said, you're all essential. Uh, they are really, really angry. I've never quite seen anything like it, and I do think that that's going to have an effect both on further protests and, to be candid, politically, I think this is going to have a, an effect. I do think it has to, listen, any opening has to be done safely. Otherwise, you have a rebound. I'll tell you one thing we can't have, Rose, is we can't go to shutdown number two. No. But And we, we know a right. rebound is when, not if, and they discussed on Friday with the reopening plan that they had you know we've, we've got to get into a hot spot like instantaneously yeah sean let me address that too because i think that first of all i want to say that i didn't see people angry i saw them it was very peaceful and it was very what it did was yeah. get your heart strength and also i want to note make note that you're absolutely right let us show you that we can do this the right way in a safe way but when we see a governor who just today i think it was today announced at the state capitol that um, we are now going to go until May 8th, May 8th. And even at that, it's only limited, limited construction work. Oh, all the state stores will be open. But this, for us, it seems it's limited, and it continues to be seemingly arbitrary. You know, I, I know I don't and, know you have a dog. You know, I, have a, I have a golden I By the way, construction hand. workers, I was one. We're used to wearing masks, although I didn't wear right. mine there either. Yeah. Right. Blunt, but I'd wear it. If it meant working or not working, I'd wear it. You know, Sean, what I saw there, and Rose is exactly right, this, this was peaceful. And what I saw there today was, was just like the second stage here that is totally the American spirit. 
uh, you know, and, I, and you know me, I went back and looked at history. Uh, World War II, Americans sucked it up for four years. When it was over, there were the largest number of peaceful strikes in America in 1946 because people had had it, but they stuck together with purpose. They were peaceful. This was peaceful. This was this was like a rally. I mean, flag waving, uh, honking horns, lots of good music. Uh, Don't stop thinking about tomorrow was one that was blaring out over the loudspeaker, which made me laugh because that, that was music just, traumatizes uh, me. Yeah, that was that was used for Clinton. Go ahead. <laughs> That's right. But I mean, this was a crowd of of good cheer. I mean, they're really intent on using their rights as Americans and sticking together and helping one another. That was a good thing. And Jeffrey, let me say this too. I think, Sean, that we have demonstrated our goodwill. We have demonstrated our ability and our willingness to work with with, um, state government and to work with the president and his task force to stay at home, to practice social distancing. Now we are asking that you will trust us, trust us to get back out there and get back to work and do that in the same manner that we've done everything else. See, I, um, listen, really I only can give my best. I, I, I'm not a doctor, but opening New York City, obviously, to me, would be the most complicated thing. Smallest geographical area, largest number yeah. of people. So I'm saying, okay, let half the workforce stay home. Temperature checks and yeah, got to wear your respirator and gloves in the building. You know, the Yankees, and I know for a fact, oh, I only know Randy Levine, and I'm sure all MLB and all NFL owners feel the same way. I mean, especially outdoor stadiums. I think there are things that can be done, and I think people would, the 99%, if it means going and doing a few things that aren't pleasant, wearing your dumb mask, you wear it. I think people would do it. I think the NFL would rise to the occasion. I think MLB would rise to the occasion. I think that every sports entity would rise to the occasion. I think the people would rise to the occasion. Because, you know, that brings us back some normalcy. And, you know, Sean, I have to laugh. I've met Randy Levine uh, once at an event and informed him promptly that having grown up in Massachusetts, I was a Red Sox fan. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, went over he well. Very, he, he, right. He was very gracious at all this. Uh, tell him for me, I think what he ought to do is get an exhibition game with the Yankees and the Red Sox somewhere along the line and do something along those lines. Hey, listen, and, I tell you about the NFL, uh, the NHL. They could play at Yankee Stadium, too. Yeah, I don't even. Right. I even think it would be possible to put. Again, you're not confining people to Madison Square Garden in New York, but you could probably have NBA games outdoors. Maybe I'm nuts. You could somehow heat the floors, put them in sweatpants and shirts. These guys, you know, and they'd love to play. Everyone, wants, everyone wants to get back to normal, right? But do it safely. And I'm not do saying I have all the answers, but I'm trying to. I'm 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 giving my best thoughts on it. I'm trying to do it the way that's safest. All right, Jeff, thank you. And Rose, as always, thank you. 800-941-SEAN. We'll get back to the medical side of reopening safely when we get back. Stay right here for our final news roundup and information overload. Hi, news roundup, information overload hour. Sean Hannity Show uh, for our stations along the Sean Hannity Show network. Uh, We expect after the news, bottom of the hour, we might... Depending on the timing, if it's on time, the coronavirus task force briefing led by the president. Um, There are two polls out by Scott Rasmussen today that I think we need to pay attention to. One, and I look, I've said that this is a transformational time. This has been unfolding all the all the books on pandemics. You can they've all been ripped up and thrown in a fire and they're being rewritten before our eyes. The largest medical mobilization 
in the history of the country. One of the top decisions right out of the box, and that's why these these comments by the mob in the media and comments by, you know, Nancy Pelosi in her gated community, multi-million dollar mansion, you know, with her designer ice cream freezer and all the, you know, 12, 15, 18 dollar pints of ice cream, I guess she eats. Um, it's so obnoxious because she and everybody else in Washington, how about they get back to work? Because they didn't get it done today and they ran out of monies for the small businesses that have been waiting quite a long period of time while they fund the National Endowment for the Arts, the National Endowments for the Humanities, the Kennedy Art Center. I'm sure really worthy projects in the middle of a pandemic and and country being shut down. Um, 70%, one of the new normals, 70% of Americans now favor the temporary ban of entry into the U.S. I would imagine in 197 days, the issue of who was right on controlling the borders will be a big question. And I'd say Donald Trump wins on that. 69% believe China's disinformation made the pandemic worse. And 10% believe China is telling the truth now. They're not. I mean, the news that we learned, Brett Baer's report last week that at Fox News, that his, uh, you know, his sources telling him that Wuhan, that China literally shut down all travel in and out of Wuhan province to China. But they kept it open to the rest of the world. So they protected their country, but they didn't protect this country. In, you know, I was mentioning Comrade de Blasio. We'll get to our medical experts here in a second. I mentioned, to, you know, him saying, is Trump going to say drop dead to New York? What a jackass. This guy got the largest hospital built in about a week. And then they wanted to make it COVID-19 compliant for patients. Well, that meant the whole ventilation system in the new hospital, the largest in the country, had to be changed. But they did that, too. And Comrade de Blasio, yeah, he also got the thousand thousand bed Navy ship, uh, the Comfort. And he also got all the ventilators because, well, New York City in 2006, they were told they needed nearly 10,000 of them. Bloomberg, to his credit, he bought 500. What happened to the 500? They didn't maintain them. They sold them at auction and they have no idea who bought them. So they weren't here. All the ventilators they needed, the president, the federal government provided. No American that needed a ventilator uh, didn't receive one. By the way, now we're going to be ventilator rich by the time this is all over. Anyway, we now know over 11,000 were shipped to areas across the country on a need basis. Not on I need 40,000. Whatever was needed was sent. Now they've got a reserve of over 10,000 of them, and, and now we've got the first ones coming off the line. Now the question is, and this is where we bring in Dr. Mark Siegel, professor of medicine, NYU School of Medicine, um, and Dr. Nicole Sapphire, uh, both part of the Fox News medical aid team, and her new book, by the way, Make America Healthy Again, How Bad Behavior, Big Government Caused the Trillion Dollar Crisis, uh, that book, by the way, on Hannity.com and Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. Um, I've never seen a medical mobilization like this, Dr. Nicole, ever. Now the question is, how do you open the country and open it safely? Like, for example, my idea for New York is 50% teleworking. That means everybody gets a temperature check going into any building. Everybody wears gloves and masks indoors temporarily. 
Thoughts? Would that work? Sure. I mean, we have to get everybody back to work. We can't just continue to stay in our homes. And we need to be proud that we have had the largest mobilization effort of healthcare than ever before in our country. And when we really look at what was accomplished, specifically in New York City, I mean, it is something to be proud of. But the reason that we have beaten all the modeling is because Americans have actually stepped up. They stayed home. They did what they needed to do. But now we have to get people back to work. So what's the best foot forward for that? The big thing is we need to continue using some of these digital methods that we have found so valuable right now, the digital meetings. If people are able to still remote work from home, then perhaps the entire workforce doesn't go back in. You know, I really look to our private sectors and our employers out there to say, what are you going to do to make sure that your employees feel safe going back into work again? And so that is going to take some thoughtful efforts in terms of having more spacing uh, at work, potentially if you're in tight cubicles or in tight quarters, that you are going to have to figure out how to space a little bit more. Contactless delivery systems, if you have payment methods, you know, perhaps I can tell you at my hospital, we don't actually have to open any doors. We wave our hand next to a sensor and everything opens. I mean, those type of innovations. Uh, that happens to Dr. Siegel all the time. Again. He just waves his hand and somebody opens it for him. They come running out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but, but you're right. I, th- I think you're making some very good points. But we were able to mobilize, Dr. Siegel, the, the ventilators produced. Uh, you know, some idiot on television was commenting, well, where are the drive-up testing? I'm like, that was, you know, 18 iterations ago. Now we have an antibody test. Now we have a five-minute test. Now we have a six-and-a-half-hour test and a 24-hour test. You know, getting the agents is a little more complicated. I don't know why these people think you can just snap a finger and have widespread testing when we did more tests than all these other countries combined. Over 4 million tests so far. A couple of points. You started mentioning the heroes here in New York, the healthcare workers, nurses, the doctors, the frontline EMTs. Actually, the, the cleaners, the, the, the janitors, the people that were, that were disinfecting. The way that things were done to triage and change and open wards and create new wards that saved lives. And it wasn't about ventilators. That was political finger-pointing. It was about mobilizing all the resources across the city and the, the state and across the country. That's number one. Number two, in terms of reopening the country, you're right. Testing is a key fa- factor here. Rapid testing, figuring out who has it, who doesn't, figuring out which regions are involved, which aren't, and not necessarily shuttering all regions when there may not even be COVID-19 there. Third point, you know, Nicole's book, Make America Healthy Again, is really relevant here because I think we're learning from this whole thing who's most at risk for serious complications here. It's people that aren't taking care of themselves, right? Obesity, a huge problem here. Uh, Elderly people with comorbidities, diabetes, heart disease, emphysema, smokers. So the people that are most at risk from COVID-19, and we're finding that most people get mild cases, Sean. Most people get no symptoms at all. The people that don't take care of themselves. And, and we're also realizing that we need a vaccine and we need to take all of our vaccines. Would it work, uh, Dr. Nicole, I'll ask you first. I keep talking about outdoor stadiums. I, I believe MLB and the NFL, for their, look, it's in their self-interest, but also I think they want to serve their, their customers. People are sick of being indoors. Would it work if, Every coach, trainer, anybody that worked inside any of these stadiums, food handlers, ticket takers, if they all had to get a test, if that was mandatory, if everyone to start had a temperature test, get a masks and gloves, outdoor stadium, maybe every other seat, every third seat to start. uh, First, do you think people would cooperate with that? More importantly, would that be safe enough? Well, you know, I want to see some of these stadiums and the um, 
the sports activities resumed. But here's the problem with the testing. Yes, we need to get more testing because that is the only way we're going to know if people can actually go back to work and if they're safe to be around other people. But that testing is a point-in-time testing. If we're just talking about the nasal swab and they test negative for that, then we don't know if they may be positive in a couple of days. And the same actually goes true for the antibody test because you can test a certain per- antibodies and they can be negative today, but it just means that their body needed a few more days to be positive for those antibodies. And unfortunately, you know, we are still seeing some false positives, false negatives. So we, I don't want to put so much weight. Um, Dr. Siegel is completely correct when he's saying that we have to have the accessibility for testing. However, we have to make sure that other measures are being are other being utilized as well, just like you're mentioning. So if you're talking about going to these big stadiums, you want to make sure that you have the social distancing measures, sure. Maybe they sit every few seats. But it's going to be the more the being around people, the wearing well, a what mask, about if, every, if, if you're the food handler. If Right. I think all those people have to be tested. Anybody who works there, any food handler, ticket taker. But if every person had a temperature check, maybe answered anonymously a couple of questions, you know, is your smell or taste off, uh, any symptoms, this, that, or whatever. And then they wear, everyone has to wear a mask. You have to wear gloves. Nobody wants yeah, to, but so I, if, you, if it has a Yankee emblem on it, maybe people would be more likely to do it. <laughs> well, and I absolutely think that that's going to be the right way to go. I can tell you before we go into the hospital right now, we're filling out, we have to fill out a questionnaire that's symptom checking. And then when we get to the hospital, we're wearing masks. That's to protect, to protect us and as well as everyone around us. Can you us. do that and when there's 80,000 people going in? I guess you can if everyone comes a little early, right? Dr. Siegel will let you in. <laughs> Yeah, first of all, I agree with Nicole's point that, that testing has to be sequential. It can't just be one point in time, over time. And secondly, I think that it's more than just fever now. We're figuring out, all, as, you, as you mentioned, Sean, all these other symptoms. So it has to do with a healthcare professional doing a screening, not just taking a temperature. And then the mask thing, masks are still something to protect someone else. And I'll tell you why we're using them more, because we can't figure out who actually has this thing, because there's so many people that are asymptomatic with it that you could have have it and think you have an innocent cough and it's not so innocent and this thing spreads pretty widely. So I like mask use now. Masks in close quarters. Does that help open if, if yeah. we have more so if half the buildings in New York their employees are working from home, now you're building in social distancing, then in the workplace you're wearing masks and gloves. Again, it's temporary. So everyone can get back to work. And same with the stadiums, masks and gloves. And if you don't want to wear it, don't go. I mean, I, what can I tell you? I mean, take the season off. If you, have a com- if, you're, if you are at risk or higher risk, obesity you mentioned or underlying conditions, compromised immune systems, okay, maybe you have, to t- you have to take the year off. But everybody else, would that be safe? What we're talking about here, do you think it would be safe? I do think that we're moving through a time to where we're stratifying risk. So the people who are considered more vulnerable, the elderly, those with chronic medical conditions, obesity, diabetes, chronic lung disease, I think that they need to do, make smart decisions regarding their own health and perhaps stay home. But I do think that we are getting to the point where the healthy individuals, specifically those who have potentially already had the infection, recovered from the infection, we need to get back to a new level of normal. And I'm going to call again on the private industry to say, what are you going to do to make sure that people not only feel safe, but are safe to come to those venues again? So I want to start seeing those, those, those changes being made, and that will decrease the overall spread of infection, not just the virus causing COVID-19, but the flu and everything else. 
The good news is right now we are seeing more people being discharged from the hospital with COVID-19 than coming in. So this is a great time for optimism, but we don't want to lose that momentum. We want to make sure that we Mm -hmm. continue future methods to try and decrease infection. Dr. Uh, Siegel, we got 30 seconds. You get the last word. I think, well, I agree with everything she said. I would add, you know, your point, Sean, if you go to a beach, but you, you, you follow social distancing, guess what? It picks up your spirits. Big collateral damage here is depression, anxiety, suicide, other medical problems. We need to start thinking not only of the economy, which is huge, taking an enormous beating, but about psyche. And we have to make those trade-offs. And I like the idea of sporting events, too, but you just can't go to the hot dog stand the way you used to. That's all. Let's change how we approach everything, but let's move back in a direction of work. Thanks a lot. I love hot dogs and beer. I'll drink my (laughs) beer with a straw if I have to. I said that last week. All right. Thank you both. Uh, Congrats. By the way, uh, Dr. Sapphire's book, Make America Healthy Again, on Hannity.com, Amazon.com. I would suggest bookstores, but they're probably not open. Um, But you can get it online, one, two, three, and gives you something to read while you're uh, at home. You know, some amazing companies, we we see all these public-private partnerships stepping up in ways that were amazing. You know, got to remind people that the reason that hospital workers had their masks and their shields and their uh, gloves and their respirators and even ventilators, everyone that needed a ventilator had one. Now we got a ton of them is because people were working. Same with the food supply, same with those truckers and farmers and packers and those that were stocking the shelf. Amazing. Well, our friends at Norton 360, recognizing all the changes in our lives and you know what? Your kids, cyber safety, your cyber safety, everyone working online more. You probably don't have the same protect, uh, protections that you have at work. I've been telling you all about Norton 360 for a while. They want to do their part, and they're giving now Norton family away for free for six months. It will help monitor your kids' online activities, block unsuitable sites while your kids are surfing the net. You'll see what websites, what videos, terms, Android apps that they're downloading. It will help your kids avoid accidentally giving out sensitive personal information. And you get six months free with no payment information at all required. It's awesome. Great people. Norton.com slash family. Norton.com slash family. Now, when we come back, assuming the briefing doesn't start, we'll get to the phones. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. And we got a great, awesome Hannity tonight, 9 Eastern on Fox as we continue. Straight ahead. Half the people in America do not get a flu shot. And the flu right now is far deadlier. So if you're freaked out at all about the coronavirus, you should be more concerned about the flu. And you can actually do something about it and get a flu shot. The White House Coronavirus Task Force press briefing ended a short while ago. And if you tuned into it, hoping to hear from the country's top scientists, you were likely disappointed. What we mostly heard was the president. What we saw was a hijacking hijacking of the task force press conference by a president determined to rewrite the history of his early and reprehensibly irresponsible response to this virus. President Trump now warning of dark days ahead, but initially dismissing the pandemic as a hoax. I just got to say, if the president came out to calm people's fears, he didn't do a good job of it because they've had to come back and clarify it several times. I have said, I don't think that you should really listen to what he says. You should listen to what? The experts say, I'm not actually sure, if you want to be honest, that we should carry that live. I think we should run snippets. I think we should do it afterwards and get the pertinent points to the American people because he's never, ever going to tell you the truth. Americans are mad as hell. Are you, what are you going to, how much more can Americans take? 
every single day berating people, lying. First it's a hoax, and then if all along I knew it was serious, I knew it was a pandemic. How much more, how many people have to die? Let that be a lesson that you can have faith, but you also have to heed the warnings um, of the authorities and the people who, and, and the experts. And so I think that should be a lesson to people who are trying to gather, uh, whether it's 10 or more people in places, that you shouldn't do it. My heart goes out to that family, bless them, but they should be a lesson to everyone out there who's trying to defy the authorities who are saying, don't do it. Does the president not understand that him coming out there every day and acting like a jerk is not going to help him with the American people? The American people are tired of it. The Chinese are doing just what Donald Trump is doing. Donald Trump is doing just like the communist Chinese are doing. You, they both screwed up monumentally. Both of them in their own ways are going to be blamed by historians for most of what has happened. Uh, since December, the Chinese at the beginning, and then Donald Trump with this slow response, especially in January and February. But here you have Donald Trump blaming the WHO, Donald Trump blaming the governors, Donald Trump blaming China, Donald Trump blaming everybody but himself, of course. And the Chinese are doing the same thing on the global level. I don't think it's going to work for either. One of the things that is amazing is we have now uh, gone back, spent a lot of time in the first hour. Uh, we've got we got timelines on everybody. We got all the mob and the media downplaying the threat of coronavirus. We've got all the mob and the media, you know, smearing the president who acted 10 days after the first known case in the country. Uh same with the absolute lies that have been told about me, which I'm dealing with uh, and will be dealing with uh, politicians all downplaying the threat. You know, Comrade de Blasio, New York City's health commissioner, Nancy Pelosi, other politicians, other health officials. Uh, Dr. Fauci, the most respected guy, didn't get a lot of this right. All those timelines we're putting up on Hannity.com. And, you know, now we got, you know, newspapers in this country, you know, trying to accuse me of murder. Pretty much. They say, oh, people listen to Hannity. No, because I have my own timeline. You know, January 27th. This is this is six days after the first known case in the country. Why I'm interested in stuff like this, it just so happens that I'm just interested in medicine. I'm interested in, you know, I've, I've watched friends do operations, doctor friends of mine. And I, I looked very closely in the beginning, and there were certain things I didn't like, which is why we brought Dr. Fauci on the 27th. On the 28th, we had a panel of doctors. One of the main things that I was looking at, and I interviewed the president about, you know, what do you, closing the borders, because he had already put the travel ban in effect. The Super Bowl interview was February 2nd. Um, Fauci was back on February 10th. And with that, we were, I was especially focused on one question. I wish I had turned out being wrong. I was not about asymptomatic people spreading the disease. And it was amazing, you know, again, how quickly that, you know, it is, I mean, honestly, how we broke down the sequence of this virus, how quickly we were working on them on a vaccine. You know, we put a lot of this up on Hannity.com. 
Anyway, here's the president and his task force for stations along the Sean Hannity Show network. We're going to take this to the end, assuming it keeps going. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. Following the release of our reopening guidelines, governors across the country are looking forward to phase one and announcing plans for an economic resurgence. We're going to have a resurgence, too. At a time when millions of American workers and families are struggling with the financial consequences of the virus, it's critical to continue the medical war while reopening the economy in a safe and responsible fashion. During this time, Americans must maintain strict vigilance and continue to practice careful hygiene, social distancing, and the other protective measures that we have outlined and that everybody's become very familiar with. We continue to be encouraged that many of the areas hardest hit by the virus appear to have turned the corner. For example, recent deaths are down very, very substantially. Uh, you can compare that with their peak not so long ago. And you have numbers of 30 percent, 25 percent. In Detroit, as an example, it's down by over 50 percent. Congratulations. And in New Orleans, where they've done a terrific job, they're down 65 percent. 30 states have just one case or less per 1,000 people, far fewer cases per capita, as an example, than Germany, the United Kingdom, France, Italy, Ireland, Switzerland, Singapore, Belgium, Spain, Norway, the Netherlands, Austria, Sweden. My administration continues to press Congress to replenish the enormously successful Paycheck Protection Program, which has impacted 30 million American jobs. We hope to have an agreement very soon, and hopefully tomorrow the Senate's going to be able to vote. A lot of progress has been made on that, tremendous progress. It's a great plan. It's a great plan. It's helped a lot of people. So we hope to have a vote maybe tomorrow in the Senate. And based on the record low price of oil that you've been seeing, it's uh, at a level that's very interesting to a lot of people. We're filling up our national petroleum reserves, strategic, you know, the strategic reserves. And we're looking to put as much as 75 million barrels into the reserves themselves. That would top it out. That would be first time in a long time it's been topped out. We'd get it for the right price. We're also pushing for the deal to include an additional 75 billion hour deal, the deal we're talking about. $75 billion for hospitals and other health care providers. Many providers and their employees have taken a huge financial hit in recent weeks and visits, uh, elective procedures, surgeries, et cetera, et cetera, were canceled. We think that they can all get back online. They'll get it done. The hospitals have really been fantastic. The hospitals, they've, uh, they've stepped up to the plate. They've really done a great job. We appreciate it so much. For areas less affected by the virus, we've issued new recommendations about how to safely resume elective treatments. HHS has also distributed the first $30 billion in direct payments to a million health care providers across the country. We've also invested $1.4 billion in community health centers to ensure our most vulnerable communities, including many African-American and Hispanic-American communities, have access to the services and testing that they need. Earlier today, Vice President Pence spoke with governors from all 50 states 
about our unified effort to defeat the virus. He had a, a great call. It was a great call, very positive in, I'd say, every way. Prior to the call, we provided each governor with a list of the names, addresses, and phone numbers of the labs where they can find additional testing capacity within their states. Uh, many, many labs were providing you with a list. We'll show it to you now. If you need it, we'll give you the details. But uh, hundreds and hundreds of labs are ready, willing, and able. Uh, some of the governors, like, uh, as an example, the governor from Maryland didn't really understand the list. He didn't understand too much about what was going on. So now I think he'll be able to do that. It's pretty simple. But they have tremendous capacity, and we hope to be able to help him out. We'll work with them and work with all of the governors. Similar to the situation with ventilators, states need to assess their complete inventory of available capacity. Some states have far more capacity than they actually understand. And it is a complex subject, but uh, some of the governors didn't understand it. Uh, the governor, as an example, Pritzker from Illinois, did not understand his capacity not simply ask the federal government to provide unlimited support. I mean, you have to uh, take the support where you have it, but we are there to stand with the governors and to help the governors, and that's what we're doing. And they have a tremendous capacity that we've already built up, and you'll be seeing that. We're going to be introducing a couple of the folks in a little while to talk about it. I want to draw your attention to Governor Cuomo's remarks during his press conference today. He said the president is right. The state's testing is up to the states to do, which will implement the tests and logistically coordinate the tests. We have about 300 labs in New York, and they do. They're great labs, actually. And it's uh, my job to coordinate those 300 labs. I think the president's right when he says that the states should lead. And uh, the governor's really, they're really getting, uh, they're getting it together in New York. A lot of good things are happening in New York. And I think the governor's going to come in to see us tomorrow. He's coming to the Oval Office tomorrow afternoon. Andrew is going to be uh, coming in with some of his people. So we look forward to that. Uh, the uh, Some of the articles that just recently came about, uh, if you remember, and I put out a statement today, for a month it was all ventilator, ventilator, ventilator. That's all people could talk about was ventilators. And uh, we did a great job with that. We built a lot of ventilators, to put it mildly. We have so many now that at some point soon we're going to be helping Mexico and uh, Italy and other countries. We'll be sending them ventilators, which they desperately need. They were in a position — they were not in a position to build them themselves. But we have thousands uh, being built. Every state has had — they have the ventilators. If they don't, we have almost 10,000 in our Federal Reserve, our stockpile, as they call it. And uh, we did a great job with the ventilators. Unfortunately, the press doesn't cover it other than the fair press. But uh, so then you say, gee, I, they need ventilators. We don't need ventilators. And that's, a, that's under pressure we did that. Nobody that needed a ventilator in this country didn't get one. And uh, a story that just came out, how the media completely blew the Trump ventilator story. I'm sure you'd love to see that. That's by... Rich Lowry, respected journalist and person, how the media completely blew the Trump ventilator story, which unfortunately it did. And here's another one that just came out. Uh, Kyle Smith, the ventilator shortage that wasn't. The ventilator shortage that wasn't. 
because we got it fixed. And we're also going to help the states, by the way, stockpile ventilators. So if a thing like this should happen again, they've got them. Uh, the stories on testing are all over the place that we're actually in good shape. I'm going to have the vice president and others speak to you about that, but we're in very good shape on testing. And we're getting better all the time. You're going to see some interesting things. I thought before I uh, went any further, though, I'd like to have General Seminite, who's done an incredible job, uh, tell you where we are. You know, we're still building uh, beds and hospitals for people that need them. I guess the hospital business general is getting pretty much closed out now, but we're, we're creating a lot of uh, space for people just in case. And in some cases, they probably will be using them. But I thought the general, he's been so impressive and done such a great job. I thought on behalf of the uh, services and on behalf of the federal government, he'd say a few words about what we're doing right now. Thank you very much, General. Well, thank you, Mr. President. I uh, just want you to know that on behalf of all of us in the Department of Defense, our thoughts and prayers go out to all of those patients and all those victims that have been affected by this terrible virus. And the President and the Vice President talk all the time about the heroes, but I've been out there. I've seen the doctors, I've seen the nurses, and all those that have worked very, very hard. And we're just, uh, we're just so proud to be part of this noble calling. I, uh, for my team, I really made it very, very simple. I said there's three legs of this stool, and they all have S's. There's sites, in other words, hospitals. We've got to work worry about supplies, and we've got to worry about staff. And so right when uh, Governor Cuomo called the president about almost 30 days ago, he said, I need some help worrying about what could be uh, tens of thousands of hotel room, I mean, of uh, hospital room shortages. So the president and secretary of defense asked us to fly to Albany with a team. And on the way up, we understood how complex of a challenge this was. And we knew there's no way you can solve a complex catastrophe with a complicated solution. We needed a very, very simple solution to be able to then work with HHS, to be able to work with FEMA, to be able to work with the Vice President's Task Force, and then to be able to power this down all the way down to the local level. Some of the governors asked us to try to build a hospital in a parking lot or a field in two or three weeks. You can't physically do that. So what we said was, let's go to where there's an existing facility, and I'm going to kind of make this in two big pots, those that are either hotel rooms or college dormitories, smaller rooms, or those that are in real large areas, like field houses or convention centers. And we designed those standard facilities that could be either non-COVID or COVID, and then we got that approved here at the federal government to be able to then power that back down. So we went to Governor Cuomo, and he said right up front, I love the concept, uh, I need you in the Javits Center, I'm ready to start having your work tomorrow afternoon. So when we flew back that afternoon, the next day, we basically built the standard design and then continued to be able to power it down all the way down through the rest of the team. So I just want to show you a couple slides here, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll kind of let you know where we're at right now, Mr. President. We had to do a bunch of assessments. So somewhere in the order of over 1,100 different locations we went to, and we worked for FEMA, we worked for the president, and we worked for governors and mayors. And we said, what do you think your demand is going to be? And based on a lot of the modeling that's been in this room here, we were able to understand when the peak curve was, but we also were able to understand where's the bed shortage. So then these 1,100 facilities Right now, today, sir, we're actually executing 32 different facilities. That's on the order of merit of about 16,000 beds. Eight of those are all done. We've still got a lot more to complete. And in the next week and a half, we're going to complete about 15 more facilities. 
We've got some pending. Some mayors and governors are still wondering, do they have enough bed space? And what's important here is we need a very agile plan. You can't do something three weeks ago and think that this is going to continue to stay because this virus gets a vote. And this entire team, the federal government has tried to be as agile as they can, supporting those states and those governors. The beauty of the plan, though, was it doesn't have to be built by the United States Army Corps of Engineers. So we designed about an extra 52 facilities. We gave those to the governors, and I've got to be very, very uh, laudatory to the governors. They then imposed and put a lot of those on the, on the ground and did those themselves. So let's go to, I'm just going to show you some real simple pictures here. Go to the next slide if you don't mind. So this is an example of the Javits Center, and you've heard the president talk about it quite a few times. This one, about 2,100 bed spaces. What you get is about an 11 or 12 foot square cubicle. There is uh, lights in there. There's a nurse call. So if you need to be able to call the nurse station, there are nurse stations throughout. There's pharmacies throughout. This one started as non-COVID, but then we came back in and put in central oxygen. So everybody has oxygen right behind their bed to be able to take care of those patients. And again, built this one, about 1,000 patients treated. Let's go to the next one. I was up in Detroit with Governor Whitmere, and uh, she walked us through and told us her intent. Here's where she needed to do this in the TCF Center. You'll see all the cubicles that are laid out. This is right in the middle of a convention floor where there might be like a boat show or a car show, and then went in and built 970 different uh, uh, capabilities there. And again, a lot of great work by my guys in the Corps of Engineers and the rest of the mayors and the city's team all pulling together. Let's go to the next one. This is called the McCormick Place. Governor Pritzker sat us down. He said, here's kind of our intent of what you want to do. Mayor Lightfoot walked us through, and we went into another large convention center. This is actually 3,000 bed spaces, a very, very large build, and got this one done in a relatively short time. And then here's another one that kind of uh, helps you understand the dynamic here. Go to the next one, please. This is in Miami Beach, and I flew in to see Governor DeSantis. And my guys had kind of scoped out about 450 beds, and he said, um, Todd, how long is it going to take to build this? And we kind of said probably till the 27th of April. And he went to his uh, health people and he said, how long do you need? And they said, the day we need this is the 21st of April. And I told my guys, you don't have till the 27th. Figure out how to get it done by the 20th. This is where you don't get the build to be able to have the perfect solution. You've got to be able to get the mission essential done. Lives are on the line here, and we've got to be able to get everything done to be able to save those lives. And let's go to the last one here. This is one we're doing right now, Colorado. This is in uh, Denver, another gigantic convention center. You'll see all the different cubicles here to be able to just bring in that oxygen, six inch copper pipe that comes in and it's all piped throughout the entire convention center, six miles of pipe that's able to go in to be able to make that happen. And in closing, I just want to be able to say that we are um, very, very focused in the Corps of Engineers getting this done, but this is all about the team, the federal team, the state team, the local team, the vice president's task force, and a lot of the people sitting here have informed us of how fast we need to go. And it goes back to, again, all the layer, the governors and the mayors that make this happen. But I want to reiterate, President Trump has called me three times, and Secretary Esper has been on the phone at least one of those times, and said, what else do we need to do to set you up for success? Is there any other knobs we can turn to be able to help you go? And you think about that equation of those three S's, I think that with the federal government and the mayors and the cities here, we've effectively taken that first S out of the equation. And so I can't tell you, of, of all the things I've done in my career, this is a noble calling to be able to step up and save American lives. So with
Well, that's right. Thank you very much. Fantastic, Jeff. Thank you very much. Uh, anybody have a question for the general while he's here? Anybody? Because I think it's very self-explanatory. It's done an incredible job. Jeff, do you have a question? Are there, are there more projects, sir, beyond the ones that you've just identified that you'll be working on? So about a week ago, we thought we were about capped at 26. What we're seeing is, and I said, the virus gets a vote. We're seeing some of these curves are stretching out where we might have thought we only had five or six days. We actually have a couple weeks now. Other ones, we're seeing exactly the opposite. So where we didn't think there was some, and I'm not going to go into locations here, but we are definitely get requests in. We've got six more requests in just in the last four or five days. There are a little bit smaller facilities in more remote areas, but our job, we still, if we have enough time to go build, we want to get in there, do the assessment. We work for the mayor and the city and the governor here, and we can still get them done if the mayors and those elected officials make a fast enough decision. You might say while you're here, we're building the generals in charge of the wall on the southern border, and we want to build 450 miles of wall, and it's very much under construction. You might give them a little bit of an update. How are we doing with the wall? So, sir, I think the most important thing in you.